Hey, folks. Pattern is a disability insurance company, and they know that you want to be confident and in control of your finances. In order to do that, you need to buy disability insurance. Pattern understands the problem is that researching insurance is complicated and time-consuming, which can make you feel overwhelmed and unsure of who to trust. Pattern knows that your time is valuable, and they believe that doctors have more important things to do than worry about insurance. That's why thousands of doctors have trusted Pattern to help them understand the insurance they're buying. Here's how they do it. You go in, you request your quotes, you compare your options, and you buy risk-free. So request your quotes today at PatternLife.com. That's P-A-T-T-E-R-N-L-I-F-E.com. So you can stop wasting time and feeling overwhelmed and instead save money and spend time on the things you love, being confident your family and income are protected. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, and welcome back to ACRAC. I'm Jed Wolpaw, and today we're going to do something a little different. I recently read a fascinating book called The Obesity Code, Unlocking the Secrets of Weight Loss by Jason Fung, who's a nephrologist in Canada. And I thought it was so interesting that I'm going to do an ACRAC episode today that's going to be just basically a review, an overview of some of the key points, some of what I thought was really interesting, and uh, so that you can get a feel for it and go out there and read it if you want. Now, this does not have much, if anything, to do with anesthesia or critical care. And so if you are looking for a board studying podcast episode, this is not it. And uh, no uh, offense will be taken if you want to just turn it off right now and come back the next time we have uh, an episode that's go- that will relate directly to board studying. However, I do think this is a fascinating book. I'm going to tell you all about it. And if you're interested in hearing about it, uh, then check out this podcast and then you can go get the book. I will say that there will be some spoilers, not that it's a uh, plot heavy book, but I will certainly be giving away the main points. Um, so if you want to read it for yourself and discover it all along the way, then also I would not listen to this. All right, let's jump right in. So as I said, the book is called The Obesity Code, Unlocking the Secrets of Weight Loss. It's by Jason Fung. He's a nephrologist. He established the Intensive Dietary Management Clinic in Toronto, Canada, uh, where he's had some incredible success treating uh, obese type 2 diabetics, but has also applied a lot of what he talks about here to obesity in general. And talks not just about how to treat obesity and diabetes, but how to be healthier in terms of your eating and really brings a new perspective and some new information to this that I didn't know anything about. And I've read some about this in the past. So what he does is in some ways to build on some of the work by, for example, Gary Taubes. If you've read Good Calories, Bad Calories, if you haven't, it's a fantastic book. And that really opened my eyes to a lot of the information about how the low-fat, low-cholesterol, uh, high-grain diet is completely based on no science whatsoever. Uh, and the, that was what opened my eyes to the fact that the, I, what we've been told for the last 50, 60, 70 years uh, that we need to avoid fat and cholesterol uh, in order to be healthy, especially heart healthy, is completely wrong. 
So I also recommend Gary Taubes' book. Uh, but um, Fung builds on that and echoes a lot of what Taubes talks about. Um, he talks about the fact that uh, the there was never any science behind that data, that the, or there was some faulty science. Uh, it was proved wrong multiple times, but like so many things, once something is established and carried forward in guidelines and governmental recommendations, it's very, very hard to break through. And nutrition is an area where it's hard to do real rigorous science anyway, and so it took a long time. We now know that that wasn't true at all, even though you still have physicians out there telling their patients they have to eat low-fat, low-cholesterol to be healthy, and uh, it's still pretty pervasive. It's you still see people avoiding butter, avoiding eggs, for example, and that's not not something that is backed up by any science. Um, so please feel free to eat the butter and the eggs. But anyway, uh, Fung talks that goes through some of that same science. Um, talks about the real problems being carbs, especially simple carbohydrates, sugar, white flour, white rice. Really focuses on sugar, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. How bad sugar is and why, uh, but we'll, we'll get to that. But um, that is really uh, what's problematic, not fat and cholesterol. <clears throat> so as I said, Fung talks about that, and then he really starts off by talking about the eat less, move more approach, right? So that's what has been talked about forever, this idea of eat less, move more. That's the key. Just a calorie is a calorie. Eat less of those calories. Do more exercise. You'll have net more out than in, and you will lose weight, right? That's what, that's what everyone's taught. I believed that for a long time before I read Good Calories, Bad Calories, and it really opened my eyes to this idea that not all calories are the same. It's not really how much you eat so much as what you eat. And we'll talk more about why that is, but all calories are not the same. Your body reacts differently to different calories depending on what it's coming from. Sugar, table sugar, which is half fructose, is really problematic. So are simple carbs, but not quite as much as sugar probably. And the reason is that these are going to cause both high levels of insulin and insulin resistance. And if I had to say one key thing about Fung's book is that insulin is the villain. And we're going to talk more about that. All right. But the other thing he talks about is that exercise actually plays a very small role. And there's tons, don't get me wrong, and, and, and Fung says this, there's tons of, of good reasons to exercise. There's a ton of benefits to exercise, right? We should all be exercising as much as we can. But losing weight is not one of those benefits. It's really not, exercise is not a good way to lose weight. It's important for a lot of other reasons, and I'm all for it. In fact, I hope you're listening to this podcast while you're exercising. But it's not a good way to lose weight, despite what we've been told. Because it turns out, and this is really fascinating, your body can downregulate energy consumption to an amazing extent. And, he's, and the nice thing about Fung's book, by the way, is he cites literature and studies for all of this stuff, right? So he talks about a study which showed when patients cut calories by 30 or even 40%, right? That's huge. It's almost half. It's almost cutting your daily calories in half, that your body will cut its metabolic rate by the same amount, 30 to 40%. So if you cut your calories in and increase your exercise, all that's going to happen is your body is going to take all that other time when you're not exercising and down-regulate your metabolic rate to the point where you're not going to get any change in your weight. And this most famous study was done by Ansel Keys in the Minnesota Starvation Experiment, where they really got people down to very low calorie counts and found their metabolic rate decreased immensely. They were cold all the time. Their heart rate slowed. They felt miserable. 
So your body can do quite a lot. And so the idea that, oh, all you have to do is control yourself and eat less and exercise more, it actually doesn't work. And that's the, the reason for it is your body's immense ability to regulate its own metabolic rate. So again, keep exercising, but not because you think it's going to be the thing that makes you lose weight. Or if you lose some weight initially, you're going to gain it back as your body downregulates its own metabolic rate. So then he talks about hormones, and he goes into some other ones, which I'm not going to get into everything here, but he does talk about insulin as the major, major player here, insulin and insulin resistance. So there's a lot of really interesting stuff. We've gone from, at one point in human evolution, eating irregularly, right? You might, you might be successful in hunting down a deer or a bison, and you might eat for a few days quite a lot, and then you might have a few days where you don't have any food, right? Where you're fasting. And so the body evolved to eat irregularly. This idea of what we do now, which is three meals a day plus snacks in between, that was unheard of. That just didn't ever exist in most of human history, and it's not how our body evolved. So that's what we do now. We do three meals a day plus snacks, and we do tons of added sugar, simple refined carbs. And what does it do? So the key is that it keeps insulin levels high around the clock. Insulin never has a chance to really go down because you are always eating something that's causing that insulin to rise. It's a meal, it's a snack, it's a midnight snack, it's an early breakfast, whatever it is, you're causing your insulin levels to be up all the time. And then his key point, or one of his key points, is that this is what happens. When your body is exposed to something around the clock, whether it's caffeine, alcohol, whatever it is, your body develops resistance. That's just how the human body works. And so when your body's exposed to insulin all the time, you develop insulin resistance. And then that means that your body needs more insulin to get the same effect. And then you have more insulin around all the time, and now you develop more insulin resistance. So just as if you have a cup of coffee every five hours, soon you're going to need two cups of coffee every five hours, and then three to get that same wakefulness effect, so the same thing happens. If you keep eating all the time, you will eventually have higher and higher levels of insulin your body will be making and keeping because that is what it needs because you've developed resistance. And so the other key point here is that it turns out it's insulin more than any other hormone or any other thing that is actually what sets the body's thermostat or it is the body's thermostat and makes what is a set weight. So we all know this if you think about it, right? You have a set weight. So your weight is whatever it is. If you try to lose weight, then your body will slow down your metabolic rate so you regain the weight, so you get back to the set weight. If you eat a ton and gain weight for a few days, you will end up ramping up your metabolic rate so that you come back down. Your body has a set weight, and that is determined, it turns out, by insulin. And so what happens is when you develop insulin resistance, your insulin levels, your resting insulin levels rise and your set weight rises. So that's what leads to weight gain. It's insulin and insulin resistance that lead to weight gain. So the biggest revelation of Fung's book for me, and I think for people in general, is that it's not just about what you eat, which was kind of the point of good calories, bad calories, is it is about, it's important to know, to think about what you're eating, not how much, but what. But now Fung takes it further. He does think it's important to focus on what you eat, but there's a second prong that nobody else is talking about, and that is it's important when you eat. So 
intermittent fasting, it turns out, is the only thing that will reduce insulin resistance, so thereby lowering insulin levels and then resetting your body's set weight so that it's now lower. And there are studies he cites that show that intermittent fasting does lower insulin levels. So the problem is that we've given up fasting, right? We've don't typically, most people aren't doing routine intermittent fasts. And not only that, but it used to be that at least if you weren't scheduling in a fast, you might have dinner at 6 p.m. and then you wouldn't eat anything else until breakfast at 8 or 9 a.m. So at least you had 12, 13, 14, 15 hours of a fast. But now Americans typically will have a late dinner, maybe a snack before bed or some dessert, maybe getting up in the middle of the night, not so comfortable, can't sleep, have another snack, early morning, cram in a donut before you get off to an early morning meeting. So there's just not anywhere near as much time without food. And so what's happened is our insulin levels are up all the time and we're developing insulin resistance. Add on top of that, that we're adding in a ton of sugar and half of table sugar is fructose. So the problem with fructose is that only the liver can metabolize it. And when the liver fills up its stores of sugar, it starts to make fat. And so once you get glycogen buildup in the liver and there's more fructose around, the liver metabolizes it and makes fat in the liver. So you start to get fatty liver. Once you get fatty liver, it takes more insulin to get the liver to deal with more fructose and therefore you start to develop insulin resistance. The body, the pancreas will pump out more insulin at the liver's demand once the liver starts to get fatty and will create insulin resistance in the liver which leads to higher whole body insulin levels. So add on the top of the fact that we're cranking up our insulin levels all the time because we're just eating all the time and now add to that that we're eating a lot of fructose which is causing our liver to get fat, which is causing even more insulin resistance. So this is the big, big problem. An interesting point that Fung makes is that there are some diet gurus out there who say the way to lose weight is to have a diet where you never have a big meal. You just kind of snack, you peruse, you graze throughout the day. So it turns out that's just total bogus because what's going to happen is you are going to have your insulin levels up all the time. You will never have that period of time in between meals where your insulin levels actually fall. So even though you may not have any one big meal, you're going to cumulatively eat plenty, but it doesn't matter if your total calories are a little less. What's going to happen is your insulin levels are going to be higher, and it's insulin, not calories, that causes weight gain. There's some interesting data he goes through looking at the oral antihyperglycemics that that diabetics use, and there are all these studies looking at their effect on insulin and their effect on weight gain. And it turns out that all of the antihyperglycemics that increase insulin, that that's their mechanism of increasing insulin to therefore decrease blood sugar, they all cause, cause weight gain. Those like metformin that don't have, cause any change in insulin levels don't have cause any change in weight. And the one, the SGLT2 inhibitors that actually decrease insulin levels cause weight loss. So it tracks perfectly. And it does the same with other medications not related to diabetes, things like antipsychotics that can raise insulin levels cause weight gain. And those that don't raise insulin levels don't. Now, don't get me wrong. Fung doesn't say that insulin is the only important thing. There are a lot of other factors. So cortisol, for example, plays a role, though cortisol can make you fat by increasing insulin levels. Sleep deprivation can cause increasing cortisol, which can cause increased 
insulin. So in a way, it does tend to play through insulin, though there are clearly some other factors as well. Fructose we talked about really bad, leading to fatty liver, driving insulin levels up throughout the body. So the other thing that is just I have to point out that he makes a great point about is that a lot of people have said, oh, okay, great, I got to get rid of the sugar, so I'm going to drink Diet Coke or have Stevia in my food or Splenda to get sweet without having the calories. But again, that's a horrible idea. It turns out that studies have shown that these things, these artificial sweeteners, while of course don't have, they don't have any calories and they don't raise blood sugar, they do raise insulin levels. There was one study showing stevia and aspartame raised insulin levels even more than table sugar. So you can't go to those. You've got to get rid of them. Interestingly, he talks about some protective things. So fiber and interestingly, vinegar are helpful and can reduce the blood sugar spike and therefore the insulin release that come with eating carbs. And they can have a pretty impressive effect. So if you have some diluted apple cider vinegar uh, with a meal of uh, carbohydrates, or if you have, for example, sushi rice with the sushi rice has vinegar in it as part of the sushi mix. If you have that versus just plain white rice, you actually have a 30 to 40% reduction in the glycemic index. In other words, the rise in blood sugar that you get with that food. So vinegar can be very helpful. And then fiber, because it also reduces the, the uptake, the, uh, or at least the rapidity of the uptake of the, of the glucose. So uh, those are two things he talks about there. Interestingly, while we're on the topic of glycemic index, let me point out that Fung talks about how this is really misleading. So if you don't know, the glycemic index is about how much the blood sugar goes up in response to a given food. The more the blood sugar goes up when you eat a food, the higher the glycemic index. So obviously, if you eat sugar, uh, if you eat glucose, then your blood glucose is going to go up. If you eat uh, something with um, eat simple carbs like white rice uh, or white flour, it's going to have a high glycemic index. Now, the problem is that people think that's the be-all, end-all. And if they just eat low glycemic index foods, then they're all set. But remember, it's not blood sugar. It's not glucose levels that, and it's not calories that cause weight gain. It's insulin levels. And it turns out that fructose, for example, has a pretty low glycemic index, but fructose causes insulin resistance and therefore high insulin levels. Stevia is another one. That sweetener, which as I said, has no glycemic index, doesn't do anything to blood sugar levels and yet causes insulin resistance and rises in insulin levels. I mentioned at the beginning, but we'll just say again that Fung gets into the fact that vegetable oils very highly processed with the exception of olive oil, but things like canola oil and just generic vegetable oil are probably much worse for us than saturated fat. In fact, saturated fat, it, though forever was thought to increase cholesterol and heart disease, does not. Cholesterol itself doesn't increase the unhealthy cholesterol uh, that we always worry about. So saturated fat actually has a protective effect on stroke and has no effect on increasing coronary heart disease. So all that stuff we were always taught, at least I was taught growing up, low fat, low cholesterol, avoid saturated fat, all of that is bogus. Full fat dairy, so whole milk, whole milk yogurt, are that's actually really good for you and much better than skim or reduced fat milk and dairy. All right, so what does Fung say we should do to be healthier? So it says cut out added sugar, right? That's an obvious one. Don't snack. Make breakfast optional. This one's really interesting, right? We all think breakfast is the most important meal of the day, right? Breakfast of champions, all of that. But 
it turns out that you actually don't, you don't need to eat breakfast. In fact, the body's natural response to waking up in the morning is to release some norepinephrine to get you going, give you some energy in the morning. Well, you might think, oh, no, I'm starving in the morning. I can't get going without breakfast. So it's interesting. That's because you're used to doing it, right? So he talks about how when you're accustomed to eating at a certain time in the morning, you will feel hungry when you don't eat at that time for a little while until you get used to not doing it. But if you cut out breakfast, you'll soon find that you no longer crave food in the morning. So consider that. Now, there are some studies that have shown kids, for example, school-age kids who don't eat breakfast do worse in terms of their attention and performance on tests. But he talks about those studies. And what they did is they took some school-age kids. They didn't give them breakfast. They took some other school-age kids and gave them breakfast. Then they had them all take some tests and had them do some tests of attention and some tests of performance. And the kids who didn't have breakfast did worse. Well, again, not a surprise. If those kids are used to having breakfast and all of a sudden they don't get breakfast, they're going to be cranky. They're going to be hungry. They're not going to focus on the test. So not great tests. So what we really don't know if kids could do just fine in school without having breakfast. But Fung recommends make breakfast optional. Get rid of sweetened beverages altogether, whether it's sugar or artificial sweeteners, just get rid of them. Drink water, drink unsweetened tea, drink coffee, all that is great. In fact, he specifically recommends drinking coffee and tea uh, unsweetened because those are actually really good for you for other reasons. We talked about the fiber and vinegar. Reduce refined grains like white flour and white rice only eat a moderate amount of protein. He gets into how protein actually can cause some increased insulin, even though it has a very low glycemic index. So it's okay to eat protein, but you don't want to eat an all-protein diet probably. Increase natural fats. They're totally good for you and actually have a lot of protective effects. And then finally, fast. So now let's wrap up by talking about fasting, because to me, this was so fascinating and really changed my whole idea of fasting, what it is, and just kind of redefine my relationship to meals. And I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But first, he addresses the common myths around fasting. So these are the myths that he talks about. Fasting will make you lose muscle and burn protein. Your brain needs glucose to function. Your basal metabolism will fall if you fast. Fasting will cause overwhelming hunger. Fasting will cause rebound overeating when you stop fasting. Fasting will deprive your body of nutrients that it needs and fasting will cause hypoglycemia. So it turns out none of those are true. So when you fast initially, your body will release more growth hormone, which will protect your muscle and bone. So you will burn fat, not muscle and bone. You don't start burning protein, burning muscle, until you're down to 4% body fat, which is an incredibly low level that most people are not going to reach. The brain needs glucose to function. Not true. The brain can use ketones really well. Basal basal metabolism will fall. So this is fascinating. It turns out that if you cut calories, like you're dieting and you try to cut calories by 30, 40%, then yes, your basal metabolism will fall like I talked about. But if you fast completely, it's the opposite. Your basal metabolism will ramp up. So there's a study that looked at four days of fasting that showed total energy expenditure increased by 12%, and norepinephrine levels increase by 117%. And this makes sense, because what your body is doing is remembering back when we evolved, when you didn't have any food. So what makes sense? We had to evolve, if we didn't have food, 
to get energized so we could go hunting, so we could get more food. If, if our body's response to fasting was to totally shut down and have no energy and be cranky and have headaches and not be able to move, and we would, we would have died out as a species, right? That's what Fung points out. The, we evolved to be energized when we were fasting. So that's why that is a total myth that your basal metabolism will fall when fasting. Overwhelming hunger, it turns out not true. Yes, you get some hunger, especially for the first day or two of a fast, but if you go beyond that, your hunger actually often abates. And even during the first day or two, the hunger isn't as bad as most people think. Rebound overeating doesn't happen. If you do a fast, you actually usually eat less when you come back from the fast. Depriving the body of nutrients, again, not true. The body can survive really well off its fat stores. Some people will take uh, mineral and vitamin supplements when they are fasting, but you don't need to for any short-term fast. And maybe it's unclear for how long uh, you can go, but certainly any kind of short-term few-day fast, you don't need it. And the question of whether fasting causes hypoglycemia, putting type 1 diabetics aside, Fasting does not cause hypoglycemia. Your body will burn fat and keep its blood glucose levels right where it needs to be. So you don't get hypoglycemic. You do just fine. A couple interesting things he points out. There was a study that looked at taking people and randomizing them to one meal a day or three meals a day, but having the same number of calories. So you either had one giant meal or three smaller meals and showed that you had increased weight loss and increased fat loss for the one meal a day. Because again, then you have these 22, 23 hours of fasting, which lowers your insulin levels and lowering insulin levels causes you to burn fat and lose weight. And then he points out a couple of kind of extreme examples, but there was a patient weighing 325 pounds who came in, did a 14 straight day fast and then intermittent fasting, lost 81 pounds in six months, and interestingly described having a profound sense of well-being, had a hunger for the first two days and then had no hunger after that. And then there's this extreme case from 1973 of a patient coming in weighing 456 pounds, did a 382-day fast, was monitored by doctors the whole time, ended at 180 pounds, had no electrolyte abnormalities, and felt really well throughout. And that's actually common of people who, now that's an extreme fast, obviously, and, and by no means am I recommending anybody do a 382-day fast. But even just a few days of fasting, people tend to have a profound euphoria and sense of well-being, which is not what you would think, right? You think you'd be hangry the whole time, but it turns out not to be true. I will just say, as one little connection to critical care, that it, this does book made me wonder, maybe are we doing the wrong thing by feeding obese patients uh, who are critically ill, but again, it's different, and this book doesn't deal with that at all. Obviously, a lot of these patients have surgical wounds or pressure ulcers. They need to not just lose weight, but they're trying to actually heal their bodies, and that may be different. There may be reasons why uh, fasting doesn't work for them. We're not going to get into that anymore, but just some food for thought. Um, so again, we talked about how we evolved uh, to have these periods of, of feasting and fasting, he says, right? Feasting and fasting. That's how we evolved, not constant eating. So I will say on a personal note that I said, oh, I decided to try it. I wanted to know if, if, I, if all this stuff he was saying was true about the myths around fasting. So I did a three-day fast. I fasted for 72 straight hours, and it was really interesting. I absolutely found what he said to be totally true. The, I had hunger, but the hunger was intermittent. And I could deal with a lot of it by having a cup of, uh, I don't drink caffeine, so I would have decaf coffee or decaf tea.
tea. Uh, if you drink caffeine, totally fine to have the version with caffeine. But I found that that would often uh, allay my, my hunger, keeping busy, right, would get my mind off the hunger, um, whether it was doing some work or going for a run. But I uh, then found that I actually did. I ended up with more energy. I ended up feeling really good. I had a lot less uh, just kind of general daytime, afternoon kind of fatigue, kind of like, oh, I wish I could take a nap. That just didn't happen. I felt more awake and more energized than, than when I was eating. It was fascinating. And then I went back and have worked in some intermittent fasting. So doing, again, maybe skipping. I, I have not had breakfast since I read this book. So I've skipped breakfast and I will have <clears throat> lunch and dinner. And then intermittently, I will just do dinner. So I'll do some intermittent 24-hour fasts and then uh, on a regular basis, we'll just have lunch and dinner. Again, feels great, feel very healthy, and uh, I highly recommend it. Give it a shot. I think you'll find that the fast is much easier than you would think it would be. And he also makes the point that uh, fasting, like anything else, you get accustomed to and get better at with practice. So the more you do it, the more you will get adjusted to it and it will become easier to do. Anyway, the book is really interesting. Again, it is The Obesity Code, Unlocking the Secrets of Weight Loss by Jason Fung, and uh, I can't recommend it more highly. It really, as I said, has, has just changed my relationship to meals. On those days when I'm fasting, I don't think about my next meal. I don't sort of try to plan out what I'm going to have. I, don't, I have more time, and it also makes me feel like I'm not always worried about hunger, right? If I start to feel hungry, I don't start to think, oh, I better figure out my next meal because I know hunger is something I can have a lot of control over, right? I can get it off my mind. And I also know it's kind of liberating to realize that if I don't eat, it's okay. I won't get a terrible headache. I won't get terrible fatigue. I won't end up miserable and weak and angry all the time. That actually just getting your mind off the hunger, you actually will often feel better uh, as long as you are not just cutting calories low, but actually doing a, a full fast. The problem with cutting calories low, as I said, as Fung talks about, is if you just say, okay, well, I'm going to try, I usually eat 2,000 calories a day, I'm going to go down to 1,500 because, man, then I'll lose some weight. Your body's going to say, mm -mm, it's just going to cut your expenditure by 500 calories and you're not going to lose any weight, but you will be miserable because your body's going to cut your energy expenditure. So you're going to feel bad. You're going to crave food because your body's going to try to make you eat by making you more hungry. And so you're going to crave food. You're going to have low energy. You're going to have, you're going to be cold, all that miserable stuff. So if you are interested in trying this, don't cut calories, try fasting, really interesting. And then think about all the other stuff he talks about in terms of your diet Read the book. There's a lot more in there that I didn't cover today that I think is really fascinating stuff. All right, that is it. I hope you found this interesting. Don't worry, we will be back soon with more anesthesia and critical care specific material. But let me know what you thought about this. And if you read the book, I'd love to hear what you think. Or if there are other major points in the book that I forgot to bring up, leave a comment at ACRAC.com. That's A-C-C-R-A-C.com. So everybody can hear your thoughts on this fantastic book by Dr. Fung. If you are a fan of the show, take a moment, go to iTunes. You can leave a comment and a rating so that others can find the show more easily. And if you'd like to support the making of the show, please consider going to patreon.com slash ACRAC. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash A-C-C-R-A-C, where you can become a patron of the show. We would really appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. 
That's it for today for the ACRAC podcast. I'm Jed Wolpaw. Thanks for listening. Remember, what you're doing out there every day is really important and valued. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.